there are very shady, seedy, disgusting elements of the industry. Yeah. I, I mean, exploitation, sex trafficking, I mean, you name it, yeah. that exists. What you're describing of something like good porn is, uh, I think we as intelligent and compassionate human beings who consume porn, we just need to be mindful. to another episode of Dear Men. Um, this one is super interesting. I think this is a topic I've been wanting to address for a long time, and it sort of serendipitously came about. So I'd love to welcome Liz to the podcast. She is the CEO and founder of Good Porn. And we're going to be talking about ethical porn in this episode. And um, I think it's one of those topics where Every time you say the phrase, the, per the next person goes, what's that? Mm -hmm. So we're going to sort of break down what it is and then kind of how you can help if you are a consumer of porn to help make the industry better for everyone involved. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, so why don't we, yeah, start with just um, your, a little bit about your background and how mm -hmm. you got into this field and then just what is ethical porn? Cool. Yeah. Um, so a little bit about me. I got my undergrad from Vanderbilt in marketing and women and gender studies. So when I was there, I actually took a class on porn and prostitution. And I'm someone that's always had a lot of opinions. And for me, that's always been a gray space of like interested how it's empowering, but also disempowering. You can't just say like porn and prostitution is bad. You can't say it's just good. So I've always kind of had an interest in keeping up on what the issues were in that. Um, but I, I actually was working in music for about six years. So I moved to Los Angeles, founded a nonprofit for women that was a community kind of membership based nonprofit. So I've always been interested in finding like that equality fight and working with women. And I started a master's program at USC at the Marshall School of Business and their social entrepreneurship program. And through that journey and program, I realized that my nonprofit business model was not sustainable. So I quit that. And one of the courses we had taken was human design thinking. So that's interviewing um, a population of people and figuring out what their pain points were. So I chose sex workers and adult performers as my population that I was really interested in addressing. And it was kind of through their interviews and hearing their stories was really kind of what came about. And then prototyping that model was what eventually led to good porn. Cool. And so I'm, so this is, okay, this is all fascinating. So when you were interviewing, um, sex workers and adult performers, mm -hmm. did like, what's the deal with overlap there? Like, are mm. there a lot of pornography performers who are not sex workers? Mm. So oh, it's technically all considered to be sex work. It is. Okay. So webcam girls or men, um, or anyone would be considered a sex worker, strippers, um, escorts, all of that falls under sex work. Okay. Um, but adult performers separate. Oh, adult uh, performers. Is, is, how do I, um, 
in a Venn there diagram, sex work. they're like a, a separate Not level. all sex workers are adult performers, right. but all adult performers are sex workers. Okay, so people in the pornography industry mm-hmm. are considered sex workers. Okay, and, when you, and you were interviewing both sex mm-hmm. workers and adult performers, mm-hmm. and what were you finding were their pain points? And um, I'm assuming we're, I mean, we're talking about mostly women, right? Mm-hmm. And people who identify as women. Okay. I think for me, what really stood out was the perception that a porn star, let's say someone who has a lot of followers and has a well-known face, um, doesn't necessarily have the financial autonomy that one would expect. Mm. Um, for example, one person I met with, they were kind of at the top of their game, I want to say. I mean, they're still very, very, very popular, um, but they were winning all the awards at AVN, like very girl of the... What's AVN for our um, listeners? Adult... Video. Okay, it's the major, like, it's the yeah. huge, huge It's conference. the Oscars of the, it's the, Oscars Oscars of of the porn, porn industry. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> That's really funny that neither of us can with it. It's we a should, thing. You should probably know that. Mm-hmm. Moving on. Yep. <laughs> it's Friday. Sponsored by AVN. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she was at her top, like, killing it. And she was like, yeah, like, it's really hard to make money and, like, make sure, like, she does it when she needs to pay more rent, et cetera. And it was just, I would have expected there's kind of... It seems like a much more glamorous lifestyle that it than it is. Mm. Um, so really, kind of investigating that business model and what that looks like, where its performers are paid in flat fees when they're recording or performing and shoot um, stuff that's more high production and lower production as well, I guess. Um, so it's typically a thousand dollars to on the lower end, maybe like two hundred dollars per scene. If you're really popular, a thousand dollars is is about standard. Okay. So when you're shooting like a lot of scenes you're really even to make the amount that a person I think needs to live in LA and be have fluidity to move about their lives and have they practice self-care etc they're just that that's a lot of scenes yeah to make in order and there's no passive income there's no royalties there's really it's a, such a body intensive career and then another thing I learned not from this individual because I mean they more so told me and they were like I don't participate in this but pretty much a lot of the industry is tor- turning towards escorting as a way of making a living because there's just no money in it anymore. And there's nothing wrong with escorting. It's just, it's a completely different career path that requires completely different skill sets and it's draining in different ways. It's also physical labor and, but it's also emotional labor. And a lot of the reasons these performers get into the industry is because they like the hair, they like the makeup, they like the glam. But escorting doesn't provide that. It's also not safe. It's not legal. Yeah. Um, so that comes with its own kind of issues and problems. Yeah. And I'm curious. So the the performers that you were speaking with, they kind of ranged from um, people that were known who mm-hmm. you, you would, you know, uh, can you name any of them? It's okay if you can't. I'm just curious. Um, this this that- isn't the aforementioned um performer but I've spoken a lot with Tasha Rain and she's been amazing. She, we actually connected through the USC network cuz mm. she got her masters of communication there and she's also like a correspondent for different like news um like broadcast stations when they want someone to speak on that and she's so smart, so lovely, so amazing and I I think she is kind of my target performer where it's the performer that makes beautiful content, but also has a lot of, um, they've been vocal in the space and wanting to change it and make better changes. It's interesting because it's, um, 
I want to talk about the, okay, there's two, there's two things I want to touch on. The first is the perception that porn stars are all victims of sexual abuse mm. and, um, lower class or whatever, mm. the sort of like stereotypical assumptions or prejudice about performers. I want to talk about that because I think it's surprising I think for a lot of people, it's going to be surprising that there is a porn star who has a master's in communication from mm. a university like that doesn't compute for a lot of people. So can you speak a little bit to that perception? And like, did you ever run into that? I mean, even as someone, well, you're in the space because mm-hmm. this is the, this is, you are not a performer yourself and don't no. have that background. Right. So, but I'm sure you've run into that kind of prejudice. Mm-hmm. How do you address it? And what do you think, where do you think that comes from? Right. I mean, I think it comes from there is I think okay. I think there's a perception that that's their background and that these people then get into porn and make tons of money. The reality is that some of them need to pay rent. That is that is a truth. But a lot of them do it because they're interested in sexuality. They're into voyeurism. They're into the glam aspect um, for the, the reasons that people get into porn are across the board. There's just so many different reasons. They come from so many different backgrounds. And I think the interesting thing is a lot of them have so much. The thing they share is kind of the the dissatisfaction with how much money you can make in the industry. Yeah. Um, as a performer. As a performer. As a performer. And this is kind of what I want to point out because. You know, I was thinking about it in prep for this episode, and I was thinking about the film industry, which is another industry where, I mean, if you look at the number of producers that are white men, it's like 95%. It's like an industry where the purse strings are controlled Mm -hmm. by a certain demographic, but then who we see on the screen is there's lots of women on the screen, so you have this perception that they're they're paid fairly and all of these other things and that the, the, you know, that stories are told that reflect everyone, but it's not true because for, for years and years and years, most screenwriters were also men. So the Mm. stories being told on screen, the way they were being told and the producers and the, the, the money that was being made was not fairly distributed. Mm -hmm. And it feels the same here where there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of money being made in porn. Yeah. Like it's not that the porn industry isn't making money. Mm-hmm. There's tons of money happening and exchanging hands, but what we're talking about in when we talk about ethical porn, which we should divine, is that the performers are actually paid mm-hmm. fairly for their work, that they're getting a slice of that pie. Yeah. Because otherwise, I don't know, it's it's kind of like um when you were saying that people perceive it as glitzy and glam and that, oh, they, she's really well known. She must make bank. Mm-hmm. Like that's not the, the case reality, yeah. right now. Yeah. And, um, I would love to see that change in part. Cause I would love to see what wealthy women in this industry could do. Like mm-hmm. they could, they, they could own their own production house. Like there's all these kinds of things that happen once, you know, a certain demographic does get more, access to capital and I would love to just see like what happens when sex positive women think critically about the industry and what they you know how they want to change it and all all this stuff so why don't we define ethical porn for our listeners so that we kind of have a sense of what what Um, we're talking about ethical porn um as addressed in the book I'm forgetting the author's name I believe it's Dr. J David J or Lee Lee a, okay, a man. We're obviously not that great at referencing things, but uh, there's a book. It's famous. Um, and he defines it as ethical porn is A, made legally, B, respects the rights of performers, and 
C pays performers for their labor. And what um, my website um, really touches in is that that third point, because a lot of the ethical porn productions studios, et cetera, they still use flat fees. So there's really no passive income around it, which I think is so, so important to respecting these performers craft, which is their bodies and their, their energy. Um, so that's kind of how, so kind of the background around ethical porn is there was the feminist porn movement that really kind of started in Canada. And then it was the feminist porn awards, et cetera, et cetera. And what came from that was ethical porn. And then there's also fair trade porn, and that's really what I'm trying to dive into. I think ethical gets more into what the content looks like, whereas what I'm really interested in is the revenue behind it mm. and creating sustainable business models and careers, I th- which I think is just so important because when you're, your product, the, the people, the thing you're consuming, in that content, they're enjoyed, they're lovely, we people like to consume porn but in the day-to-day reality they are such a like dis- discriminated against marginalized community and that is a huge discrepancy between how much people are consuming this and how these people are actually being treated in the real world that's a really good point and and the point that you make about royalties is really um compelling too because what was the name of the woman you mentioned tasha Rain? tasha tasha so let's say tasha gets paid $1,500 to do a scene, mm-hmm. which is pretty good, right? That would be a pretty good flat rate. Mm-hmm. If that scene gets 500 million views over the course of two years, she should be paid royalties for right. that. And Absolutely. right now the industry is not constructed that way. Mm-hmm. Whereas, uh, you know, something like acting or even in my industry, I'm a writer. I do get paid. I get passive income right. based on how many page views mm-hmm. I'm getting. And, that you know, there's a lot of industries that are constructed that way. This one isn't mm-hmm. yet. <laughs> um, and the impact is that a lot of these performers are not only perceived as being more wealthy than they are, but they're also discriminated against, like you said. Mm-hmm. Like there's, it, it's not a respected industry. It's right. not like you walk in somewhere and say, I'm a porn star. Mm-hmm. And like, that's a really polarizing thing to do. Right. Some people are going to be really interested in you and some people are going to judge you, shame you, not hire you for, let's say, another job, you know, things like that. Like it's, like you said, it's a marginalized population. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious when you were interviewing, like how many performers did you interview? Um, we're still collecting interviews. Uh, like ballpark. Okay. 10 to 20. Okay, 10 to 20. So these were like Still deep dive qualitative more, yeah. interviews. Cool. And were you finding, did the performers have uh, suggestions as to what they wanted instead? And was it, was it paid yeah, for you? It was the actual, I kind of started out in the ethical porn space and it was through my conversations with them was that some of these ethical studios, they kind of say this is ethical porn. And it's some people who are in more like traditional kind of productions what I gathered was that they think it's unfair to say this is ethical and this is unethical when in reality a lot of the high budget productions like they have so many regulations that they have to follow they have to sign the forms they have to take a video that's saying I consent to this they have to be sober they have to do the the testing like there is a lot of stuff that goes around it Um, so I think even creating quote-unquote ethical porn creates can create the notion and like contribute to a narrative that some of this porn is unethical. 
Okay, so what so we're talking about, just to clarify, is we're getting into now content. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Okay, yes. so there are certain production houses that are like, I'm an ethical porn production house. Right. And that sort of, um, let's say, limits what the performers can do. Are we talking about like no anal, no bondage, no like specific acts like that? Yeah, or let, let's say rape fantasy, for okay. example. Um, that is something that in some ethical narratives or performances that could be off limits or too taboo. I see. Whereas it, it gets into kink shaming, basically. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So that, so that would be an example of something that an ethical porn house wouldn't mm-hmm. do because they would say this isn't okay. Yeah. Right. The traditional houses would. And so what you're describing is that in the past, ethical porn has sort of been about what is on the screen right versus how people are paid right okay okay so back to how the performers do want to be paid or what mm. when you were interviewing them did they have ideas or like is that where you got your idea yeah. for, like can we for example i spoke with one performer so a lot of them have their own websites and like that is a business model and revenue stream for them but the percentage that the site owners take it can be 70 to 60 percent um so that does have passive income, but that's not a fair amount. Why is a site owner, when their effort is minimal and it's all your content, why are they taking so much? That to who, me is... Who would be the site owner of, like, does Tasha have, like, if Tasha, let's use her as an mm-hmm. example, if she had a, a website, who's the site owner? Is she not There's, a site owner? She's the site owner, but the, the site builder, let's say. Oh, The okay. person who, the developer, the engineer. Okay. And there are companies, there's um, a company called Fan Centro and Model Centro that actually has great business models and like the performers that are on these sites love them um, because they they make it really easy for performers to host their own site so they solve for that problem. And are these, because the average person listening to this is going to be watching Pornhub and YouPorn. Right. Um, so these performers that have their own sites are people paying for their videos? Right, exactly. Oh, okay. So it's so, a paywall. Okay. Yeah, so exactly. And I think, especially for this younger generation of Gen Zs and millennials, everyone has grown up on YouTube with no paywall. Like content, the expectation is that content should be free. So a lot of the videos that we are, people are watching on you on Pornhub, a lot of them are pirated and they actually belong to people and are available for pay on sites but you don't generally have like for the market research that i was doing you have you really have your your performer fans who follow these performers they go to the individual's websites they pay their amazon wish list and they are committed to that they they like that performer but then you have your your porn fan and those perform porn fans don't typically follow a certain performer they like different faces they they honestly i've heard consistently that if they have seen one face they don't want to see it again because they don't want to know that that person is a performer they don't want to know that it's acting Mm. so they like Pornhub because it's free and it offers that same variety unfortunately a lot of these ethical fair trade porn options like OnlyFans Just for Fans Model Centro etc they can make you commit payments to just one performer so it doesn't actually address the needs of the consumers on those ends oh interesting so you're saying that people who consume porn can fall into different buckets and mm-hmm. one of them is like I'm a Tasha super fan like right. I love Tasha I'm all about her I want to support her and watch her and uh I 
when you and I met up, I didn't know this, but tell our listeners about Amazon wishlists because I think there's Oh, kind yeah. Of- it's so cool. So a lot of the performers um, have Amazon wishlists that you can access on their websites. Um, sometimes in their like email signatures, they'll just have a link. I have like the LinkedIn, Facebook, and they'll have an extra one for Amazon wishlist. And you can go and you can buy them gifts. Sometimes it's sex toys. Sometimes it's like, and especially I think that gets into like the webcamming culture where there's more buying them things and then you get to see it in the videos. Mm. It's just, it's a really interesting revenue That is an interesting subculture. Okay, so that bucket is, uh, I'm a Tasha super fan. Mm -hmm. And then there's the, um, I just like porn. Or like I'm a, I'm a, "Quote unquote regular porn consumer." I'm assuming that bucket is is bigger. Is Much it? Bigger. bigger. Okay, Much yeah. Bigger. So the super fans are a smaller percentage, mm-hmm. and then the larger one is. I don't really want to know that <clears throat> the performers are performers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I want to pretend like they're really having sex with this person, and yeah. they're you know whatever. Um, and for the sites that you're describing, most of them are supporting individual. They're made to help an individual performer succeed yes. or have a, have a business model. Okay. And what you're saying is there needs to be another option, which is for the people who want to have variety Yeah, for the, co- and free content. So and free content. what good porn does is it actually creates revenue streams around free content with ad monetization and product placement so that, and it also offers paid options so that it actually creates a hybrid for both of those fans. Mm. So the porn fan and the performer fan to actually exist in the same ecosystem and website. So, yeah. So let's talk about good porn. This is your company. Mm-hmm. And, um, what is the like structure of it? How does it work? And so right now I'm still in the process of fundraising. So a lot of the actual product is still in like the wireframing and design. Mm-hmm. Um, but ideally what it's going to look like is you go to the website, there's the free videos and then you're click funneled into pay content that is optimized for what you would prefer. Um, based on curation and then creating just different revenue streams with tipping webcamming and because all of these things exist like webcamming custom videos snapchat premium but they don't typically exist in sites that offer free porn Mm. so your free porn consumers aren't usually introduced to these alternatives for payment Mm. outside of Pornhub premium which is super problematic why what's problematic um i mean i i take issue with their premium option i'm I don't know if you've been following the girls do porn scandal. Mm-mm. So it's all alleged, but, um, yeah. It, so I think it was around June or August that 22 women, um, came out to, to press charges against this company to say that they were coerced into making these videos. Um, basically it was kind of, it, from my understanding, it's basically a scam. They would lure in these young women, um, one was even 17. They did a whole thing so they could get her on her 18th birthday. So they got a nice sex trafficking, a minor for that one. Um, but they would lure them in based on saying modeling gig. They would fly them to San Diego. These are often people that have not traveled before. They would get them in the hotel room, get them drunk. So underage drinking, um, have them sign paperwork, tell them the lawyer, they didn't need it. They would say, I'm going to give you $5,000 to do this shoot. And then they would say, um, oh, actually, if you, if you do, if you have sex, like it'll, we'll pay you X amount. No one will ever see it. It's going to a private collector in Australia and New Zealand. 
And then these videos would just immediately end up on Pornhub. That is really fucked up. Yeah. They even had a woman on staff, or maybe it was a fake woman. I don't know if it was real or not. But texting the girls to be like, I did it. It was the best experience ever. It's an easy way to make money. And then, I mean, they basically, like, kidnapped these people. They wouldn't let them leave. And then at the end of this whole horrible experience, I mean, not the end, but the end of the, the, the shoot, they would say, oh, no, you were too fat. You had scars on your body. I actually can't pay you the full amount. So they'd end up promising 5000 give them 1000 And then these videos would end up on Pornhub. And Pornhub's comment community, et cetera, is so toxic that people made a game out of finding these people, finding their names. So it ended up oh into doxing God. harassment. A lot of them had to, like, move out of their homes. Their whole families were, like, harassed. Wow. Yeah. That's horrible. Mm-hmm. And I think this is probably a good segue to say there are very shady, seedy, disgusting elements of the industry. Yeah. I, I mean, exploitation, sex trafficking, I mean, you name it, yeah. that exists. And it's not um, a small amount of the industry either. Yeah. Like, I don't know the percentages or whatever, but it's important that, um, like you said, there there's a whole range of what's mm-hmm. going on. And um, what you're describing of something like good porn is, uh, I think we as intelligent and compassionate human beings who consume porn, we just need to be mindful about what is going mm-hmm. on and choose places that have their attention on what's happening to the yeah. people that are doing this yeah. and how are they being treated and not necessarily, like you said, not necessarily the content of the scene, mm-hmm. but how are they being treated right. and also how are they being compensated? Yeah. Um, so, okay, so back to good porn. So you go to the site and there's some free content mm-hmm. and there's also the option to like follow a, a, performer, a performer kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Um, and just going back to Pornhub for a second. So Girls Do Porn was actually a Pornhub premium. So a lot of Pornhub's money was coming from this this company. So these allegations happened in June or August. You th- one would assume you would take the videos down. Yeah. They only took this. It's November now. And they only took down some of the videos a week ago. What? How are they not being sued? I th- there's a lot of laws. I'm assuming I, don't, I haven't read the case extensively, but there's a lot of s- s- laws that that protect website hosts from the content they're actually serving. But I would imagine with a partnership, it gets a little tricky. I wouldn't be surprised if they end up getting sued. They should definitely get sued. So, yeah. and I, I don't know about Pornhub Premium, but so what is it? Is it like it's just their premium a month? I'm not what? sure what their actual revenue. Or their their pricing is, but, it's some, but it, for a yeah, consumer, it's you something, can something a month. Even for um, girls do porn, they had free videos, um, but people really liked them because it was these young faces that they'd never seen before, and that's so alluring. And what I think really is interesting about Pornhub, because um, I, I did a lot of looking at the process for uploading content across the different websites. If I make a profile on OnlyFans or just for fans, every video I submit and upload, I have to submit documentation and paperwork. For Pornhub, I submit it. I can submit any video. It'll get go through whatever process, and they only require documentation and paperwork if they request it. So you really have no idea what you're watching. Wow. So there's no um, there's no authenticity. There's no like, filter. There's no, there's filter, no filter, and filter. that's how so much of it is pirated. Is because people just upload whatever they have access to, and. Who who control who's making the billions and billions and billions of dollars in the industry? 
It's it's hard to say because um, Pornhub is well, so Pornhub is owned by a company called MindGeek, and the estimates are on that is that MindGeek controls about seventy to eighty percent of the porn on the internet and thereby like the revenue as well. But they're privately owned, so the numbers are actually we only know what they give us. Mm. Um, so even honestly, it's it's wild like. I have all these um, resources through school to pull up market research and like what every company is worth and what every market. So if I were to look up like the wellness industry, like how much that worth, very clear number. With porn, it's somewhere between 15 billion and 97 billion. That's a pretty big spread. That's a pretty big spread because this company that controls 70 to 80% has all that private data. So unless you know someone who works for that company, you don't, no one knows it. And so, so MindGeek, for example, are they making their money off of ads? Mm-hmm. Because, okay, right. So the so again, back to the average person listening to this. They watch YouPorn. They watch Pornhub. They see ads for um, penis enlargement or Viagra or mm-hmm. whatever. I'm, I'm, I, feel like, I feel like there are other ones that I've seen that I'm like blanking on. And um, is that the majority of how the money is made or we don't, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. So they do, a lot of them do have premium options. And I would imagine just running my own financial document that I've made, there is more money in those revenue streams than advertising models okay, as we've that's seen. That's encouraging. Yeah. As, yeah. Um, so I think those are an important part of the business model. Cause it's, I would assume it's like, um, journalism where it's ads end up kind of not necessarily. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like that with podcasting as well. Mm. If you actually look at the, the breakdown, you need to have lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of listeners to mm. make ads work at yeah. all. And even then, it's not actually that yeah. lucrative. So, okay. So, back to good porn. So, I have a question. So, if I'm a person consuming the content and I just want to um, support the site, is there a membership option? Yeah, we're going to start out with a founding membership option, which we haven't figured out the numbers on that. We're still price testing. Um, But there will either be 24-hour unlimited access, which I think is really exciting because a lot of the consumer feedback I got was they didn't want to commit to monthly subscriptions because sometimes they have a partner, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're super busy with work. So their porn habits aren't like, I do it three times a week, I do it four times a week. It was kind of like some months I do, some months I don't. Mm -hmm. And having an additional monthly subscription on top of their Hulu, Netflix, Spotify was not appealing. So creating, and also, yeah, creating a 24-hour unlimited also um, addresses the consumer behavior that a lot of these people are going on and they want to watch three to four videos. So I think it's a superior... um, option than something like video on demand where you're sub- committing to $10 for one video that you don't know you're going to like. Yeah. So I love, love, love the 24 hour unlimited access. My friend came up with it and I was like, yes. <laughs> um, and we're also going to have a monthly subscription just for the, the individuals who do want to have, who are more familiar with their porn consumption habits and would like that in their routine more while also being more saving money than doing the 24 whenever they use it. Yeah. And also kind of like because I don't want to support, and I, I mean, I know the people that listen to my podcast, like I know my listeners, they don't want to support, um, shady, awful kidnapping yeah. situations, right? Like, like from what you're describing, like, and I feel like this similarly about you porn too, where sometimes I, I've seen videos and been like, 
am I sure that she consented to this scene? Am I sure that this isn't revenge porn, for example? Which is another thing that I think is worth bringing up quickly, which is that some men will um, have sex with their girlfriend, you know, while they're in a relationship, film it, Mm -hmm. and she has consented to that, but she hasn't consented to him uploading it to YouTube or to YouPorn. And then after they break up, it's called revenge porn. I think that's really fucked up. Like, that is like... To me, that's the ultimate betrayal of not only like we broke up, you didn't have consent and you you're using this thing that we created together. It's just everything about that like skeeves me out and it's disgusting. And I would love to support a site where I know Mm -hmm. for a fact, because sometimes I'm like, I'll, I'll turn off a video and be like, I feel gross. Like, I don't, I don't actually know what was going on yeah. there. Um, and all I can do is kind of like hope, which is like not, yeah. that's ew, like gross. Like, I think there's a lot of people that would want to support a site where it was like, this is vetted content. I trust mm-hmm. that this is respectful of everyone that's involved. And, you know, I, yeah, I just, I don't think that I'm alone in that. So I think... I don't know. To me, it's a no brainer. Yeah. For our value proposition for the consumer, it's that we take the guesswork out of like, ugh, where did this video come from? Yes. What's really interesting about revenge porn and non, non, other, otherwise known as non consensual porn is that it's really kind of birthed an entire law industry, like a niche law industry. There's a book by Carrie Goldberg. Hope I'm getting that name right. Um, it's called Nobody's Victim and she's Amazing. She's kind of one of the lawyers at the forefront. So that kind of chronicles her. Um, and she's also super involved in the, the Me Too movement. It's, yeah, nobody's victim, fighting psychos, stalkers, pervs, and trolls. Um, really amazing book. And then also Facebook recently, one of the people on this dedicated team they actually have for this came out to say that um, they're making strategy against preventing non-consensual porn on their platform so let's say i made a video with a partner my partner's threatening me to upload it to to facebook i can submit that video to facebook and it will be cataloged as something that if anything uploaded similar to that content wow yeah that's great that's but that's also i think speaks to how pervasive this problem is that facebook is doing something about it yeah and also um you have to have the video. Mm-hmm. Like if he takes yeah. the video on his phone or does, or, or you know, like it, it's just, yeah. You can also copyright your, your nudes now, which I think is important for people to know. Okay. Wait, say more about that. So if, if I actually do have access, if it's taken on my phone and mm-hmm. I send it to a friend or whoever, or someone hacks my phone and I'm worried about it, I can file for it to be copyrighted so that if it ever gets put anywhere, I can sue. But if someone else takes the photo of me, I don't actually have ownership of that nude and I cannot file for copyright. So TLDR, take your own nudes. Yep. (laughs) And have them copyrighted if you're ever worried. And have them copyrighted. That's really, that's, that's interesting. Um, Okay. So uh, talk to me about like the status of, of good porn. Like can people sign up now? Like, are there any other sites in the meantime that you recommend? Like Mm. what's your... Um, so right now I just won second place. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Yeah, you did. In a pitch competition at USC. Yesterday, people. It just happened. Breaking news. Super exciting. I've got half of the money now. Actually, no, I have all of it because someone else matched it. Great. Um, Yeah, really exciting. So I actually have enough money to build a clunky MVP to start kind of 
making proof of concept for investors so that it can build build out like the the full thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is no website right now. There is a landing page where people can sign up for consumer interviews, adult performer interviews if they want to lend their perspective or if performers are interested in kind of being like a founding member and like really having stake in the company. Um, and also that founding membership. Yeah, basically, if anyone wants to stay up with it, stay up to date with what is happening with good porn they can go to watchgoodporn.com. some websites i think are great are i mentioned them uh just for fans only fans model centro fan centro i think those all have really really wonderful revenue streams um for ethical porn i love erica lust and her website is x confessions and she makes really she's this producer filmmaker out of um, barcelona and she makes really really beautiful content mm, x confessions mm-hmm. like just the letter x mm-hmm. okay not like confessions of my ex-boyfriend. Oh, no. It's so funny. Before the company was called Good Porn, I did Naked X because I was thinking of like transparent supply chain. It's so transparent. It's naked. And one of my guy friends was like, it sounds like revenge porn. You cannot call your company <laughs> Naked X. <laughs> it sounds like you're Naked X. I went for a full month with this and I was like, yeah, it's it's a good name. And they were like, no. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's important to test your concept out with lots of people because, yeah, yeah, really, really get... Get, get some information. Um, okay, can you just say those sites again a little bit more totally. slowly? OnlyFans, Just for Fans, and both of those, I think Just for Fans is made by a performer and individual, and I think that's Great. really important is to, so perf- to support platforms that are created by individuals who are in the industry yes oh speaking of there's also a great website called deeper and that was founded by stoya who's an adult performer her website used to be called trenchcoat x and i i that's kind of where i was more introduced to the importance of paying for your porn hashtag pay for your porn um and it's i went i went on the other day and it's this whole new website it's the content is beautiful Mm, um that's called deeper deeper okay um I think it's just deeper.com. And then for ethical porn, uh, Erica Lust is really the the biggest badass in the game. And her website is X Confessions. Okay, great. So you can, yeah, I'm leaving this at the end of the episode for anyone that wants to get in there. (laughs) Um, Okay, cool. And then good porn, no, watchgoodporn.com for the landing page for yours. Great. Is there anything else that you would like to leave listeners with, you know, around this topic? Um, ooh, I, I've been pitching just nonstop. So I have, I have a fun little cheesy thing that I say at the Please, end. Please, I would love to hear. Um, so right now porn sucks, but <laughs> the answer to bad porn isn't no porn. It's making porn better with good porn. Oh, nice? I like it. It's good. I should end with like little gun hands, like choo, 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 pew, pew, pew. It's cheesy, but it's cute. Well, thank you for being on. Oh, thanks sharing. for having thanks me. Thanks for the work that you do. I really I think it's making a difference. Oh, likewise. Thank you. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Just again, a quick note. If you're interested in the course, you can find it at pleaseherinbed.com, www.pleaseherinbed.com or at my site, melaniecurtain.com under courses and have a very sexy day.